If I can ask you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians 1 once more. Today we're going to be reading verses 11 through 14. Ephesians 1, please stand as we read God's holy word. Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14. Some just one of the greatest verses, by the way, if you're ever looking for a verse on God's sovereignty right here. Starting with verse 11, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth in the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. May we praise God's glory. May we realize this is his word, it is powerful, it is active, and it's coming into your life right now. Praise be. Please have a seat. I didn't realize this, but every year in our country, every year, 10 million pets are lost or stolen in just our country. 10 million, that seems way too large of a number. I actually checked it out, it seems to be the consensus. About 10 million pets. Why a lot of places, they encourage you to get your, your faithful dog or cat microchipped. It's when they put a tiny little, insert a little chip into that animal so if the animal ever you know, decides to get lost or stolen and somebody recovers the animal, they can scan it and hopefully bring that animal back to its owner. This turned out to be a very good thing for a little Yorkshire Terrier named Sven. Sven was a little curious doggy, And one day, in 2007, he decided to take a little stroll. And Sven left his house in Alabama and started walking. He saw something curious down the road. And he started walking and walking, and walking. 800 miles later, Sven found himself in Florida. Looking around, little dog, very optimistic about the world, and somebody picked him up off the road. And they scanned him, and they found out who his owner was. And they called her, and they said, did you, did you lose a dog? And she said, yes, eight months ago. He said, we just found your dog, Sven. He's here in uh, Florida if you want to come pick him up. And she drove down there, and the next day, Owner and pet were reunited. Such a touching, heartwarming story. But that's a reason why we might want to microchip our pets. There, there's an added layer of safety and protection about having that identification there. It's a huge peace of mind knowing that we have our treasures secured. In fact, there's many ways we do this in our life. We're, we're not without ways that we try to secure and protect what's really important to us. We lock and alarm our houses. We put passwords on our computers. We put our money under our, no, we put them in the bank. We put our money in the bank. We buy insurance for our cars. A lot of this is just for peace of mind. Nothing's ever going to actually happen. But in case it did, you have that added layer of safety and protection, of just knowing your treasures are secure. That's great for all those things, but when it comes to your greatest treasure, your greatest possession in life, I've got some bad news for you. There's absolutely nothing you can do to secure it. 
your greatest treasure you can't secure. These last few weeks, we've been going through Paul's, what we call the doxology, the song of praise at the start of Ephesians here. And Paul's been singing about the wonder of our election. Remember how we get adopted into God's family? And then he was singing about the benefits of our redemption, all this huge benefit package. And as he continues to sing, the listener or the reader might start to get this impression of, man, this sounds too good to be true. It sounds so great. What if I, what if I lose it? What if it's taken away from me? What if it's given to me and at the last minute, aha, it's yanked away from me? I don't think I could bear to lose that. And I think that starts to get into our minds that there might be a way we could lose our salvation. That we might really mess up one day. God might say, well, that was one too many. I didn't tell you at the beginning, but you get 500 strikes, and at the end of 500, that's it. Salvation revoked. Or maybe you just get a little too insecure and you're just not sure. Maybe God will change his mind about me when he really gets to know me. And so, unfortunately, that anxiety over whether or not our salvation is secure can really kind of dampen whether or not we enjoy our salvation. I've known Christians like this. I've known churches like this, where everybody's kind of always in that state of anxiety, where I'm just hoping I can make it across that finish line. I'm hoping that I'll get to heaven, but I don't quite know for sure. Maybe I have it, maybe I don't, but I don't know. And there's that state of uncertainty. Because what microchip is going to get that salvation back to us? What insurance company is going to underwrite such a monumental possession in our lives? Right? What lock or alarm is going to prevent somebody from coming and taking that salvation away from us? That concern really, I was thinking about this, and it made me think of two years ago, almost two years ago to this month, that Joy and I were getting ready to move. And there was a huge amount of fear and anxiety in our family over this abrupt transition from Michigan to here. And probably the biggest source of our anxiety was putting up with Bill. No, I'm just kidding. Our greatest anxiety was our house. We only had one day when we came up here in July of 2018, one day to find a house. And we went on the, the craziest job, uh, I'm sorry, craziest house search you've ever seen. But we found it. God led us right to the perfect house for our family. And we said, this is great. And we made an offer. They accepted it. But for that next month, we were in a state of constant anxiety. Because we knew at any moment the owner could change their mind. And then where would we be? And so we just kept praying every day. We're like, God, please let them not change their mind. You know, please let there nothing to be wrong. But we're always kind of like, I don't know if you've been in that state where you're holding your breath because you know you, there's something good on the horizon, but you're holding your breath hoping nothing is going to get messed up until it actually you get there. You cross the finish line. And so we were like that for that entire month. But we didn't see, you know, I think we kept, maybe this was just me, refusing to see how much God was working in this situation. Joy was always telling me, Justin, God led us to the right house. He's going to protect it. And I just kept going, but what if, what if, what if? And one of the ways God worked in that is he led us right to a house where that family that used to live in there had kids, and they were Christians. And they, they prayed to God. They said, God, whoever we would sell this house to, 
We wanted to be a Christian family with kids, many kids. And God led us right to that house that we, we accepted and loved. And that was just a house. That was just a house. That wasn't my salvation. Houses we can, we can lose, we can afford to lose. I can't afford to lose my eternal life. I can't afford to lose something that I'm going to have to deal with forever. I want to know that it's secure. I can't live my 70 or 80 or 90 years on this earth in a constant fear that one day it might get taken away from me. And so I need these words that Paul gives us right here in Ephesians 1, where he tells you good news. Not only has, have, has the um, offer been accepted, the offer of your salvation, but it is secure. And this is how God secures it. Let's look at it today. How does God secure your salvation? Well, as Paul is finishing this song, this doxology, he's praising the work of the third person of the Trinity. I don't know if you realize this. If you still have your Bibles open, this is a great passage to point to. If somebody says, well, there's no Trinity in the Bible, you say, yes, there is. It's everywhere. Look at Ephesians 1, that we see God the Father. His mission was to elect you. His mission was to identify those he was going to adopt into his family. Then God the Son's mission was to ransom you, to redeem you, to pay the price to pull you out of your sin. And then God, the Holy Spirit's mission, was to take your salvation and make it secure. That's what the Holy Spirit does. for One of the many things the Holy Spirit does for you, but perhaps the greatest thing the Spirit does for you. Unfortunately, that huge task, which you're not able to do, God is more than up to the task of doing. In verse 11, it says that God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And Paul is saying here that God is completely sovereign. He rules over everything. There is nothing outside of his power. So your salvation, your eternal life, is fully within the scope of what he can accomplish. And that is great news for us today. And then he tells you exactly how he's going to do that. So if God doesn't microchip you, if God doesn't take a branding iron to you like some cattle and put his initials right in your side, how does he set you apart for salvation? How does he make that secure? There are two parts to this here. And the first part actually does include you being marked, but just not in a painful way. You're not tattooed by God. You're not branded. We read about this, if you have your Bibles open, in verse 13. It says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Let's read that again. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. On the very day of your salvation, when you professed a faith in God, when you believed, God marked you. In that very moment, he marked you with the Holy Spirit. He put the Holy Spirit in your life as a mark from that day forward. You will never not be without the Holy Spirit. In the ancient world, kings would often have really elaborate rings. And on these rings, they would have a signet. And it would be unique to them. Nobody else in all of the kingdom would have this signet. So whenever the king would issue a proclamation or a decree, that decree would be written out on parchment or on paper, and then wax would be poured onto it, 
And then the king would take his signet, his seal, I'm sorry, his signet, his ring, and he would press into the, the wax and he would make a seal. That way, if anybody saw this proclamation, this decree, and they saw that seal, they knew it was authentic. They knew it was from the king, and whatever the king said in that decree would happen. Seals also were used to designate ownership. So if you went up to a building and you saw the seal of the king on that building, it belonged to the king. You didn't get to move in there and enjoy whatever that was. It belonged to him alone. We actually encounter this almost every Easter season when we go through the story of Jesus' death. Remember Jesus was buried in a tomb and the Romans were so afraid that there would be this conspiracy that his body would be taken, that they rolled a large stone in front of it, they put two guards in front of it, and they put a seal on the tomb. That was the seal of the Roman emperor. That seal was a giant do not touch. You touch this, you will die. This now belongs to the Roman emperor. Go away. That's the power of a seal. Of course, God's claim upon his son was much greater than the claim the Holy or the Roman Empire had on him. And God's claim upon us is greater still. So God puts a seal on our lives. He says, they belong to me. And that seal is not something physical on your body. It's the Holy Spirit that comes inside of you. And I think that's a great comfort when we have this kind of anxiety that we often face over the state of our soul. One problem I think we have in our culture, in our society, is we live our lives according to our feelings. And that's a bad way to live, because your feelings are an emotional roller coaster. You're up and down all day long. You might start out the day thinking, all is right between me and God. It's a brand new day. You're like, ah, oh, God, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm right with you. But by lunch, you've sinned. You're down in the dumps. And by evening, you don't know how God puts up with you. If we live our lives according to that kind of emotional roller coaster, you're constantly going to be worried that your salvation is on the brink of being lost. That's why God gives you the Holy Spirit to seal your life. Say, listen, let's get around your feelings and let's look at what is true. No matter what you feel, this is the truth that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you've ever wondered that question, We've brought this up before. Am I saved? If you've ever asked yourself that, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, and you had that moment of doubt, and you go, am I saved? According to Paul, you just have to ask yourself a very simple question. Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you see the fruits of the Spirit growing in your life? Evidence of that. If you can answer to yourself, not to anybody else, but to yourself, if you can answer that question, yes, I have the Spirit in my life, then you are marked, you are sealed, your salvation is secure. And that's the end of it. That is great news. Now, being marked as God's great, but that's only half of what's needed to, seal, to fully secure your salvation. Beyond placing a seal on you, the Holy Spirit himself becomes a first installment of your future life with God. A first installment. Back in the time of Jesus, Romans had this, they came up with this technique that if they wanted to buy something that they couldn't fully afford, 
they put a down payment on it, what they would call an Arabon, a first installment, not a Cinnabon. That's a different thing. Arabon. One's tasty, one's a first installment. And they would put this Arabon on things to show that they were serious about buying whatever this item was. That once they put that down payment, nobody else could just come in and buy that thing. That they were serious about coming back and making the full purchase later. And we actually have many examples. I'm sure you can think of many examples in our world around us where we have this sort of financial tendencies. Where we might go to a store and see a sofa that catches our eyes, but we can't afford it until the next paycheck. So we put it on layaway. We put a down payment on it. We said, we'll come back in a month and we'll fully buy that thing. With houses again, you put a down payment on the full cost of the house to show that you are serious about making that purchase. Of course, perhaps the best example of what the Holy Spirit does for us in, in this, making this purchase in our life is how our culture treats marriage proposals. Marriage proposals are huge deals right now. I don't know if you've been on Facebook, but man, somebody gets engaged and they make a, a story out of it. They show you how this elaborate way of how so-and-so proposes so-and-so. Oh, it's the best story. And there's pictures and it's going to be retold for generations to come. But at the center of every proposal, whether it's small or large, is the engagement ring. Don't ask me what my engagement story was. I proposed to Joy in a parking lot of an airport garage. It's not the most romantic thing. I just couldn't wait. But I, I was looking for better stories than that. And I came across this, this one story of this couple. In 1940s, this British couple got engaged. And they were just deeply in love. And the, the guy gave her this wedding ring, this down payment on the promise of their future together. And she, wore, oh, she showed it to everybody. Look at the spring. It's so pretty. And the next week after their engagement, they went for a walk in the countryside. And they were holding hands. They had a great conversation until suddenly they fell into an argument. And it wasn't just like an a agree-to-disagree situation. It was a screaming at the top of their lungs, knock-down, drag-out, argument. And the, the bride-to-be got so mad, she yanked the ring off of her finger and said, See this? Say goodbye! And she threw it as far as she could into the weeds. Well, then about 10 minutes later, they made up, and suddenly there's a moment of regret. I have done something foolish. And so the couple, they went, oh no. And they went searching for the ring, and they couldn't find it. Well, the good news is they still got married. They had kids. Those kids had kids. They had a happy life together. Uh, the groom passed away in 1993. And uh, his widow that he left behind was just, she was in such in deep grief that the, gra the grandchildren got together and they said, we wish we could do something for our grandma. And one of the grandsons thought, he, he remembered this story because they often told it of the engagement ring that she threw away after this great argument. It became part of their family's legacy and the lore. And so he had an idea. And he bought a metal detector, and he went back to that countryside. He had no like, real hope that he would find it. Lo and behold, two hours later, beep, 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 he reaches down, and he pulls up from the grass an engagement ring. And he couldn't wait. The very next thing he did is he got in that car, 
He drove to her home, got down on his knees before his grandma, and slipped that ring back on her hand. That treasured possession, that down payment of a marriage to come, for her, now a marriage in the past. It was her treasured possession, and she loved it. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. When he comes into our life, he says, listen, I'm not just marking you. I'm becoming a down payment for your future life with God. Your first installment of many installments. You're going to enjoy this life right here, right now, with me at your side. And I'm going to be here with you. And just like how a couple, when they get engaged, there's a very interesting part of their relationship where they go from just dating to engagement to marriage. And in this engagement phase, they're hopefully preparing for their union. They're hopefully getting into this mindset of we're going to be married. What is that going to look like? How can we start preparing for it? How can we start divorce-proofing our marriage? How can we start building it up? And that's exactly the stage we're in right now in our relationship with God. It hasn't, it hasn't culminated. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. That comes in the life to come. When our union, remember last week we talked about how God is bringing his church into a union with Jesus? That's to come. Right here, right now, is our engagement period where we're growing in our faithfulness. We realize how deeply God is committed to us. And then God turns around and says, let me help you become more committed to me. We have just the best groom who's proposed to us and says, I want to put an Arab on on your life. I want to put a down payment for the day that I will redeem you in full in heaven and we will finally be joined together. Back in the Old Testament, the Lord said this to the prophet Malachi. He said, on the day when I act, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares the son who serves him. You are God's treasured possession. God has a lot of possessions. He has a universe worth of possessions. And yet you are his most treasured. You are the one he makes that down payment for. You are the one he wants to mark and set apart. You are the one who he wants to get to know more. And he wants you to get to know him more. That's how special you are to him. He wants to have you all to himself because he is a jealous God. Paul's song began with his excitement over being chosen by God, this delight, and all of the, the benefits of being redeemed in Jesus Christ. And he finally finishes with this sign and the pledge of the Holy Spirit. It's the gospel message right here. This doxology is the gospel message where your salvation is not only proclaimed, it's enacted, and it is secured. And then Paul at the end of that says, Praise to his glory. Praise to his glory that this is what happens. Now, my question for you today is, if God is this intently serious and committed to you, how committed are you to him? How do you show God that you're committed to him? How do you show him that you are faithful to him? He's going to help you in that endeavor. But let's this week strive to be faithful to Jesus. Let's learn more about him every day. 
Let's make good on that New Year's resolution to get into his word every day, to talk to him every day, to live our life with this giant anticipation of the union to come because we are engaged with the power of the Spirit to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it may be strange to us to think of being engaged to you, of having this very intimate relationship and this anticipation of a marriage, of of an eternity, of a marital union with you. But Lord, it's perhaps the best way for us to understand just how wonderful of a relationship you want to have with us. Thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit who leaps in our heart when we read the Bible, who helps us understand these words, who prays on our behalf, who counsels us, who tells us, you are not alone, for I am with you. Do not be afraid. I go with you. Lord, we praise you for so many things, but thank you. Thank you for securing our salvation. Thank you that we don't have to go to sleep tonight worrying that if we don't wake up in the morning, all might be lost. Lord, no, we know, we know all is safe in your hand, in your name.